Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Unscripted. As always, we hope you enjoy this one and we will catch you in the episode. Hey guys, today we're joined by Tyler, uh, Caitlin's husband. This is actually the second time we've tried to shoot this episode, uh, but the first time some things happened and, and the episode came out and we all sound like robots. But uh, I'm excited. I'm, I'm thrilled to have him on here. He's, he's a man that you don't hear speak much, but when he does, he's got a lot to say and uh, you listen up. One of those people that reminds you of the verse to, uh, to be quick to listen and slow to speak, uh, a man full of wisdom, but you wouldn't know unless you picked his brain. Uh, it's, it's an honor, man. So, so Tyler, tell us, tell us a little bit about you. Like, how did you, how did you start your walk with God? I guess, like, how did you get to where you are today? Good question. Um, so, I was, you know, I didn't really have a plan on how this was going to go. I just knew the topic we were going to speak about and kind of wing it, for lack of a better way of putting it. Um, that's a great question. I have grown up in a Pentecostal church my whole life. I was uh, raised in AG, so I've experienced the Royal Rangers aspect of it coming up. Um, And I I accepted Christ at a very young age, um, but I didn't live like it for a very long time. Well. (laughs) So... Uh, I want to, I like, the way I like to say it is I believed, but I didn't really receive it. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. So I went through the majority of my life into my adult life, uh, not serving God, believing, but not serving God. Um, and then I joined the military out of high school. I joined the military out of high school, and uh, obviously I experienced the worst of humanity, uh, the best of humanity as well. Uh, seen a lot, done a lot, uh, lots of highs and lows. Um, been around the block. Yeah. Once or twice. (laughs) Um, not sure what you mean by that. (laughs) (laughs) No, but, uh, you know, so I had my military career. Uh, I was in Guantanamo Bay. I was in Fort Lewis, Washington, and I was in Afghanistan. Uh, so experienced a lot in a short amount of time, um, been to a lot of places in a short amount of time, uh, got out of the army and went back overseas as a civilian for a year doing security in a place called Kosovo. Where I did not know that. I never heard that. Oh. Yeah. So interesting little tidbit. He's like a flower. No, he's like an onion. You know how they say in Shrek, you just have to peel back the layers. Oh, I learn things about him all the time. I'm like, you've never told me that. Like never had yeah i've never <laughs> once heard that at all i know that he's been these places never knew the timeline till just now nice yeah i've been married to this man for seven months known you almost two years right. i know <laughs> i need to write it down so after where was you said costa what kosovo costa rica would have been nice but that's not <laughs> it that's not it <laughs> so after that what where'd you go from there uh i left Kosovo in February of, I'm trying to get my dates right, excuse me, February of 2015, and I started my current job right now uh, in June of that same year. So, and I've been at my current job since then. Yeah. And that you are a, don't, 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 hold on, you are a security guard, or not a parole officer, a security guard for a prison? (laughs) I'm a correctional officer, uh, yes. I thought... I thought a correction officer was like a parole officer. He he's like security for prisoners. I mean, that's a good way of explaining it, but 
probably a little offensive at the same time. Oh, sorry. Sorry, I forgive you. Correctional, correctional officer. Yes. Wait, is that like an offensive thing to call somebody a correctional officer? Like I think a security guard, when you speak about someone who's been in law enforcement since they were 18 years old, probably a little offensive, but you oh. wouldn't know that. Most of them take offense to the specifically guard. Yeah. But I don't care. No. Wait, wait, so what is it about guard that is like offensive? Like a security we're guard not a, is we're not a mall, mall cop. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> He's Makes not sense. Paul Blart. Makes sense. <laughs> Paul Blart. <laughs> Makes sense. Okay, now I can see how that could the be offensive. The dude went to war, you know you what know? I mean? The dude, he is war. He went to the. He went to war, and now he works with the... You say he s- is war. He is <laughs> war. In a world. And you see like Tyler walk yeah. up, explosions behind him. <laughs> Man is war. And now he sorry. deals with the scum of the earth every day. Literally. Well, God bless you. Wow. Right. I mean, good am I right or am I right? <laughs> Every day. So you just want to dive in. All right. All right. Yeah. <laughs> right into it. Um, I think one of my biggest questions is, uh, is that I, I like to, to see from other people's perspectives. Like me and Jeremy were just talking at the Dream Center about looking from like the average churchgoer's perspective, you know, because we're, we're here like on staff, on interns. So we see a lot of behind the scenes. But I like to see others' perspectives. So in that context... I was, I'm always curious on how Sunday service affects somebody who's been in the military. Like we were just talking about that gentleman with PTSD. When, when you've been in like, in a lot of situations that are high tense that are like war really. And then you come into a place that I guess you could say like reminds you of certain things by sounds or by lights or by all that stuff. Like how does that affect your, how does that affect your, your Sunday experience? Well, Caitlin, I think could really attest to this too, uh, just because she see sees it as a i don't want to for lack of a better word an outsider she's not an outsider she's my wife obviously but as someone on the outside looking in and seeing me experience things i think she can speak to it pretty good um i i think she would call me very jumpy Mm -hmm. (laughs) so but other than that i don't think it affects my sunday experience that much because I'm not focused on all those things. You know, I'm focused on the music. I'm focused on the word. I would say you don't like, there are some people who like we were talking about that guy. He just, he can't handle the, the lights or it being dark. And and, it's different for everyone. Right. The loud noises for Tyler. It's like, Apparently, I walk really quietly. So if I walk from the bedroom to the kitchen, he Caitlin turns is around a very and I'm light there, stepper. He <laughs> jumps out of his skin like I'm pointing a gun to his head. Like that's how he reacts, and I'm like, sheer terror. Yes, like his face goes ghost white, and I'm like, oh my god! Like I'm just living my life, walking through my house, just living my life. He jumps like nobody's business. Like, I think it's just because, it, like, that's the unexpected. But right. You know the classic, just loud noises, mm-hmm. like unexpected fireworks and things like that. But I don't. I still enjoy Fourth of July and all that. So yeah, I'm not one of those guys that puts up a sign. It's like, please don't fire fireworks. So what? Right. Like that. I guess mm-hmm. like as we get into the, to the conversation, like what are the ignorant things? Like what are the, the the stereotypes about PTSD that are just so uncommon? Like they're just not true. Because one thing I don't want to do is ask ignorant questions like i don't want to ask questions that are just blatantly disrespectful and not know that they're disrespectful so like what are the stereotypes disrespectful i don't i don't think so no because well first off it's a real broad question only because Mm -hmm. my experience could be completely different from somebody else's right and everyone experiences uh post-traumatic stress in a different way and first off let me just say it's like ptsd it's not just like shell shock, like from war yeah. or anything like that. PTSD comes from 
anything traumatic. You know, it's, yeah. in, right. it's in the true, name. True. It's like people get carjacked or robbed, you know, yeah. stuff like that, or, you know, assault survivors, sexual assault survivors, same, same thing. So mm-hmm. it's not just a war vet thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but for, but for me, it, nothing's off limits for me. It's, you're not going to offend me. Mm-mm. I mean, I'm, nice. I'm willing to answer most, most questions. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to say the question. I did look him dead in the face and ask him a question and he just kind of laughed at like my boldness to ask him this question. And he answered it. I mean, maybe not in grave detail, and that's fine. Because, like he says, I am an outsider in the sense of he has people he could talk to who have gone through the same thing and may have yeah. been there with him. Mm-hmm. And I'm a, I'm a bystander in the fact that I watch the after effect of what he's gone through. I don't know what he's been through. Yeah. I can only sympathize. I can't empathize because I have no idea what he has faced and faces i mean just even at work you know what i mean with his arm right now that's not a normal job that people go through um tyler got hurt at work just trying to take an inmate to the ground not a huge deal it's something normal that happens yeah the people that can't see i'm currently injured yeah he had surgery about three weeks ago but i mean he's doing fine like the doctor said he's like a he's got a clean bill of health so to speak but you don't you don't see the aspect of like i get the repercussions of what he goes through. Right. So I get a phone call saying, hey, I got hurt at work. I'm coming home. Do you want to go to the ER with me? So I know it's not fatal, obviously, because yeah. first he's leaving work. And second of all, he's calling me. But that doesn't mean that like it's not serious. getting your own PTSD from oh, true, true, yeah. his trauma that happens to him. You know, So it's almost like it passes on like a snowball. And I think the, the exact words of your doctor about his health was that he is the peak male physique there could possibly be on earth i think that's what the exact <laughs> words were Facts. something like that i, I think, think so. that was my words actually <laughs> <laughs> um okay so then i guess my next question is being like a vet how how has that affected your mental health like post post military and and how does that affect your relationship with god yeah so like i was saying earlier it uh first and foremost it my mental health affected me greatly for uh, quite a long time, but I think, at least from my perspective, one of the things that vets as a whole, uh, in the broad sense, have trouble with is they have PTSD and this tra- this trauma and stuff like that, uh, you know, the hypervigilance that comes with it and things like that, but they don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's where I was. It's like I wasn't recognizing the... Pretty clear, yeah. They're pretty. It's clear in hindsight, but I wasn't recognizing any of this, and it kind of just piled up um, until you know something happened that triggered it, and then it all kind of came falling down. Mm-hmm. Um, but to your question, I like I told you before, I ha- I was a believer for a long time since I was a young boy, but I hadn't served. Um, got out of the military, and it took a few years for me to even realize what was going on um and put to put a long story short a end to a tumultuous relationship uh was kind of the stomp on the side of the hill that caused the avalanche so to speak and i ended up questioning my own will to live which was incredibly out of character for me mm-hmm. because i was always I was almost a jerk about it, if I mean, for lack of a better way of putting yeah. it. I was real cavalier about the whole idea of suicide. I was like, you're a coward. It's like, that's, yeah. the, that's the cheap way out. 
you know, and most people don't even realize that I feel like most people who have suicidal ideation, they don't really want to die. They just mm-hmm. want to make whatever's going on stop. Right. And right. that's and the only out on. right. that they see. It's like, and that's where I was when, right. when all this stuff happened and it kind of came crashing down. It's like, I didn't want to die. I just mm-hmm. felt so absent. Yeah. Man. And like, I had never felt further from God and closer to being, uh, for lack of a better way of putting it, closer to being an atheist than I was then. Because I'm like, I don't like, I, I find myself sitting there like, like, dude, if you're real, I need you to show up, like, now, you yeah. know? And long story short, I ended up in a, I had my mother take me to the uh, psych ward, basically, uh, offered by the VA up in Gainesville. And I spent uh, the weekend there on a 72-hour hold. Um, and that was kind of where, uh, not to be corny or cliche it's like that's kind of where I had a confrontation so to speak with God and started questioning my own creator not in a prideful sense but just it's like dude explain this like what's happening you did know? you feel like you were asking God like where are you or do you feel like you were asking God like why me I think it's both uh definitely where are you um because it hadn't set in yet that it's like I, I was I was a believer, but I hadn't received, like I said earlier, mm-hmm. and I wasn't serving God by any means. Like right. I was not. Um, it was all lip service, you know. I right. Right. believed in you know with all my heart, but my actions would never show it. You would have never guessed it. Right. Um, so yeah, I basically had a confrontation with God in the in those hospital rooms, and it was kind of like uh, we listened to a preacher the other day as a matter of fact who said it best and it seemed to me like I was hearing it's like look man there can be no revival in the church or in your individual life there can be no revival without repentance Mm -hmm. and you've been doing things your way this whole time time. and this is what it took to show you that your way don't work so I mean you need to give it up man as far as you need to give it give it to me because you can't handle this by yourself, and you've been trying to do this by yourself this whole time. Right. right. And it's it's crazy. I didn't – God didn't build you to handle that alone. Right. Like to, you know, hold hold all that pride in and deal with all this by yourself. Yeah. You're not meant to do that. Right. So. I think – and what comes to mind is, like, everybody, I feel like at some point in their life, like, you hit rock bottom, whether it's just emotionally or, like, just things in life that you're going through. For you, it was like everything. Emotionally, you hit rock bottom. All at once. In your life, you hit rock bottom. Your re- in did I say relationship? In your relationship, mm-hmm. you hit rock bottom. Like everything, everything went up in flames, all at one time. And as someone who already had pre-existing issues that were undiagnosed, like you couldn't cope at all with what was going on. Your entire life, everything you saw was falling apart before your eyes, and that's where and quick. It was yeah very very fast and that's where you were just like god help me like Mm -hmm. what am i doing Mm -hmm. i think it's pretty powerful and rock bottom is different for everybody it looks different for sure for everyone because everyone's emotional and physical capacity of what they can take and even spiritual is very different right yeah and for me rock bottom is you know sitting there first off this all this stuff couldn't have happened at a uh worse time which 
made it exponentially worse than it already was, if it could get any worse than it was at the time. I can't even recall if I had told you this, honestly, so I might Probably be breaking not. some news right now. <gasps> no, but, breaking news. So all this happened, uh, it's funny now, not funny then, but <laughs> all this happened in the span of a three-week vacation. Yes. I was on vacation from yeah. work, you know, supposed to be resting, Relaxer. relaxing, enjoying myself, and all <laughs> this happened, and I'm expected to go back to work. Yeah. And the day I was expected to go back to work, um, first off, I had been staying with my mother because I didn't feel safe in my own house. I'm so glad you said that because I was I wanted to bring that part up. Right. I didn't know if we were allowed to talk about no, it. No, 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 <laughs> yeah. I. It was – it's a weird thing being – uncomfortable in your own space man especially that's, for that's you wild like knowing who tyler you know? is and like i don't like to me i look I at him and be he's there. safe i yeah. could i couldn't be there it's it's the craziest thing you you know you know josh so yeah. i went out to hang out with my childhood best friend josh and we went fishing hung out you know most of the day for all, <laughs> all things considered <laughs> all things considered it was a good day um but i drove all the way back home and how far is Josh? 45, 45 minutes? 45 minutes. Drove all the way back home, pulled in my driveway, called Josh, and was like, hey, man, I'm coming back. Yeah. Because I was like, I, I can't be here. Mm-hmm. Like, And it was that bad. Drove all the way back and spent, I don't know, however long, and then ended up saying, I need to just go stay with mom because I, I just can't be there. you know. So it's a wild thing being or feeling unsafe and uh, uncomfortable in your own space you know, mm-hmm. the home that I own, uh, and it's a wild thing, man. It's hard to describe. But anyways, I had stayed with my mother for, I guess, the latter half of those three weeks, and uh, I was still there the day I had to go back to work. And I remember uh, I had already I had my uniform on and everything like that, ready to go. I, was, I had to leave in well, probably an hour or so, and I'm sitting there watching TV, and I get up to get a drink and I grabbed some soft drink, some soda or whatever and started to drink it and I started shaking so bad that I physically couldn't hold the can anymore and sat it down and mom was just like, what's going on? Like, what's what's the matter? Mm-hmm. And I told her, I was like, I was like, I just got the craziest thought and I feel like I'm gonna do something really stupid. And you know, in that moment, uh, what caused all that shaking is I just imagined, I was like, I was like, man, all these pills they gave me I was like, I was like, it could be over like that. Yeah. You know? And so that was the thing. I was like, nope, that was kind of the line for me. And I was like, okay. I was like, up until this point, you know, I could kind of bypass it and, you know, you know, dip and dodge my way out of it. But I was like, that was, I gotta go. I gotta go to the hospital. So. (laughs) Yeah. That's almost like surreal to hear. It's like how do you respond you know like there's i mean i can yeah. i can kind of attest not the whole thing but like that last sliver of the story because like there was one time i was like when i struggled through pornography <clears throat> uh it was bad like it was like an everyday thing and it would like really diminish my myself as a person and i remember like i don't remember what year or whatever it was specifically but i remember being in an apartment complex and then Nope, none of my parents were home. None of my brother or sister was home. It was just me at the time. And I'm walking into my kitchen, and I have the, a knife. And it was, like, one of those, like, very, very sharp knives. Like, my dad has, like, a little cutting thing, and he would always sharpen it every time he had to cook. And I took that knife. And at the time, I was very depressed at that moment. 
And I take that knife, and I remember it vividly to this day. I took the knife, and I put it to my neck, and it was like the sharp side straight up at an angle and everything. And I had it there, and at that moment, I literally verbally said what you said. Like, I, it could, I could end it right here. It'd be over instantly. Mm-hmm. And I remember, like, just shaking at the same moment, and I dropped the knife, and it was like, like why didn't I do it at that moment? Like, mm-hmm. And it was just, I always think back about that, and I'm like, like it's crazy to I've gone to that point, but it's the most unnerving exactly. feeling. Exactly. Yeah. Well, first off, I'm so glad you didn't. <laughs> glad you're here, man. Me too. I think it's I think it's hard as someone who's never experienced it in that sense. Like, um, <clears throat> like when I went and saw. Um, oh, well, I think we should say it now because I feel like it's been long enough. Tyler and I are both. Well, I am expecting a child. <laughs> oh, they, they know that as of last episode. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. All right, so I'm having a baby, and um, we had COVID and pneumonia, and Tyler tore his arm, and all kinds of things the month of September. And for lack of a better way of putting it, oh my tore God. my arm. Tore his arm. Um, we had so much going on, and I had basically, I think, I was on my like. 10 or 11th day of no food little to no water very dehydrated um and violently ill just yeah (laughs) just violently ill from pneumonia and it was just it was terrible um and just kind of waking Tyler up at like 2 30 in the morning just full of tears because I just could not stop vomiting and when you're that sick you're just so desperate for things to stop that's probably the only thing that I can relate I just said to myself I just don't want to live anymore if this is what it's going to be like for how much longer I just don't want to live anymore and when I went and saw my midwife she said COVID can cause depression and this and that and I said yeah well I had that I was like depressed was I going to take my life no did the thought of man I just need this to end run through my mind absolutely when you're desperate enough it yeah. I was so sick. I mean, there was just no relief. There was nothing he could do. There was nothing I could do. I could barely shower. It was terrible. It was the worst thing I've ever had. I even told my sister today, I was like, I would never wish that on my worst enemy. And I was just sick. Like, I wasn't going through something emotional. I wasn't going through anything physical. I was sick. Didn't, uh, didn't your mom say that you didn't eat for like 10 days or I drink? didn't eat anything. I, I ate. I didn't keep anything down for 14 days. God. I did not stop vomiting for 16 days, and I lost 18 pounds that's, while, that's, while in my first trimester that's of pregnancy. two emergency room visits thrown in there. For uh, Did they give you fluids the second time? No. Okay, fluid, so f- one of the times was for fluids. Two bags of IVs. Yep, two bags of IVs that we spent uh, 10 hours trying to get. In the emergency room. Yeah, shout out to that hospital. <laughs> <laughs> We're uh, not mad about that at all. And... Yeah, you, you weren't even keeping, like, Pedialyte down, Mm-mm. which is I wasn't keeping wild. anything down. I mean, Pedialyte Gatorade. Gatorade on steroids. That's yeah. like goaded, Pedialyte, though. Gatorade, uh, body armor, water, nothing. Nothing. Nothing would stay down. Body armor, that's because you didn't have the armor. I've mm-hmm. the, I know. Mm-hmm. You know I'd no, let my flesh win. <laughs> what, what's funny, though, is every time when I always hear the term rock bottom, I always think of SpongeBob. Me too. Hey. But I mean it in, <laughs> I mean it in like, there's the one episode where SpongeBob literally hits goes rock goes to rock bottom literally <laughs> and he has no way of coming back up and he gets so tired of it that every time at that there was one specific scene is when he's at the bus stop 
He takes a step forward to get to grab the chocolate from the, the machine, and the bus goes. And then he does again, the bus goes. And it reminds me of that because it's like every time well, we're on rock bottom, when an opportunity arises, it always yes. seems like it's not the one we need. But when that perfect one, when the guy comes with the balloon and allows you to lift up from rock bottom to reach right. the peak of what you need to be, right. it's perfect. Preach a Bob. <laughs> Preach a Bob. So it's like I always think of that that scene of SpongeBob. Because I, I mean, the funniest part I always hear is like he's like, "Go, go!" <laughs> Every time when he's spitting on his tongue, it's the funniest thing. Oh, doesn't he have like a glove? He gets a glove balloon. Yeah, and then he floats back and he up. He floats back up. <laughs> yeah. That's the best story. Am but I, it's like, am I right weird or when? You think of rock bottom, you don't think of a, a professional wrestler body slamming somebody. Uh, no, no, not no, me. No, no, right. no. Nope. Just no, not, at all. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> I think that might show our generation, though. It yeah, might. Yeah, yeah. It might. I'm thinking Dwayne Johnson, like The Rock. Oh, there you go. That's good, but I think we weren't uh, alive for that. <laughs> right, probably not. <laughs> no. Or at least just too young. No, yeah, I was too young for Dwayne. Dwayne yeah. was out of the WWE. Dwayne, you just wanted, like, the first neighbor. Yeah. Yeah. Him or we go way back. Just for reference, Tyler's will be 31 at the end of this month, and the youngest in here is 19, so that's a major <laughs> age, age gap. gap. Yeah. There's six and years. And I forget it a lot. There's six years between him and I, but when he was giving dates earlier, and he was like, oh, in 2015, it just made me laugh because he's out of the military at that point. But I had just graduated high school. Like, I'm in boot camp, like, in 2009. What did you say? I was like... 12 or 13 <laughs> when That's you're wild. in when you're in boot camp like going right. like when you're in afghanistan i'm pretty sure i was still in high school which is crazy That's crazy look because we're six years apart i just turned 25 but he'll be 31 mm-hmm. That's wild. Good. the timeline nice. is it makes us he's very uncomfortable look at uh, it. yes but it's funny <laughs> it is funny <laughs> i'm like oh i was a child and he's like oh it's like, why do you have to say things like that? Because it's so funny. Um, it's hilarious. <laughs> anyway, so I guess gearing into like the next thing, a little less. How do you say? Serious. serious. Yeah, a little less serious. <laughs> um, man, I have so many serious questions. A little less serious. Ask them. Well, good. it'd be a whole thing. Okay. I gotta call the supervisor. It'd just be a whole thing. Uh, and then. <laughs> Sorry, I'm brain farting. I just got hit with like the biggest wave of sleep. Um, Why'd you do that? I don't know. I ate food. I didn't have coffee today, and I'm usually like two cups of coffee. Knew it was a mistake. (laughs) Knew it was a mistake coming here. No, (laughs) vegan eating. That's what I was gonna say. Oh, I hit the table. That's what I was gonna say. What have you done? (laughs) (laughs) I think that it's like I think we can all recall a time in life where we've wanted things to end. I think I've had moments like before I was saved of like suicidal thoughts and like suicide letters. Like I, re- I remember writing letters, but I, I never had a moment of like, like Jeremy, like, like literally, action. Yeah, like action. Yeah. Oh, there was one time I was holding, it was like a pocket knife, but I wasn't thinking about killing myself. I was thinking more about cutting myself, mm-hmm. which they're not the same, but they lead to right. that. Yeah. Um, but I didn't, but I, I think it is interesting to see like how the severity of different, different, situations can cause the same result so like as much as i understand the battle of pornography very well because it's something that i've fought for for years and it still leads to that like self self-deprivation type like want to kill yourself thing but i i wouldn't take my battle of pornography and like put it on the same level as military mm-hmm. like because although it does cause trauma and like although it, it does cause a lot of things and they're all demonic things that play like the amount of stress and 
emotions that a man in military goes through and then post-military, like I wouldn't even relate it, but I find it interesting that we find ourselves in the same situation. Yours a little more severe, honestly, just it, <laughs> I, it was surreal to listen to, but like, but I don't know. I just find it interesting that somehow we end up in the same situation and then somehow we end up in the same good situation where mm -hmm. the Lord of Lords and the King of <clears throat> Kings. Mm. What he likes to leave out, which I always think like, for someone on the inside. I probably just forgot. Maybe, <laughs> but I feel like, yeah, probably. It's just, I think you leave it out because it's your life, not because uh, you don't want to talk about it. It's just so common to you. No, I'm but we're not We're not hiding anything here. No. Um, but I think, like, what he forgets to say is, like, the whole reason we were in Afghanistan in the first place is because 9-11. Yeah. So it's a terrorist, you know, It's a hostile environment, yeah. yeah. So not only did he deal with that, but then he went to Guantanamo Bay, which is where they held the terrorists oh, from 9-11. So not only did he go to Afghanistan, the very country that we went when everything happened. He went from tents to tents. Yeah, he went from tents to, this is very tense and... Tense? Tense to tense. Jeremy's trying to hold it together. Um, so he went from, you know, Afghanistan to... Guantanamo Bay or whichever one you went to first because at this point I Gitmo don't know. Gitmo first. Guantanamo Bay first. And then the, the the homeland of the terrorist organization that attacked the United States. Mm -hmm. So can you just imagine that? Like that's what, like I made the joke saying he works with the scum of the earth because he works in a prison. He doesn't work in a jail. This isn't, this guy stole something. No, these are murderers. They're rapists. They're like the worst kind of people ever. So, um, he has seen people that if we saw in public or we ever saw in person, like we'd probably be like, like freeze up. But that's been his life mm -hmm. since he was 18 years old. So that's like when people, I don't feel like people don't think about that aspect for him. So then I have two questions. Okay, I have two questions. One pertaining to the military and one pertaining to your current job. Um, what are the, being in America, we hear a lot of misconceptions about other countries. And I think like Afghanistan is one of those just because our history with the people from that country what are like the biggest misconceptions about the people of afghanistan that we hear in america a misconception about the people of afghanistan um or a dramatic statement if that helps you understand better uh they're all terrorists that would be very inaccurate yes um I agree. So you, you have a lot of people in Afghanistan who simply haven't been exposed to anything else. So, you know, what you, your environment, at least to an extent, shapes your reality and your okay. perception of it. Mm -hmm. So, and just like anywhere else, obviously a, a lot less, there's a lot less urban environments, but you have people from Kabul, the capital, or, you know, people from the tribal lands, you know, on the border of Pakistan who are going to think and act way different, different than each other. <clears throat> so it's as diverse as America in a lot of ways. Interesting. Yeah, I think we watched um, a documentary, and I'm sure you can attest to this, but, like, it's not, like, women are afraid in their own country a lot of women are afraid in their own country and they're forced to um, have the whole traditional, I'm not exactly sure what they call it, but like the where they have the face coverings and you can only see their eyes. And didn't they go from like in 
it's a the, burqa or a hijab. Yeah, one, something one like that. Two. I think it's a burqa. It's where I they think have so. their yeah. whole face is covered. Um, but they went from like in the late 90s, early 80s, like women wore skirts. Women went to school in places like Afghanistan. And now women are in not Iran. allowed to do any of yeah. that. Um, so I think they had like, there's a generation who had a taste of normalcy. Well, what we would say as Americans is normalcy. And now there's like a whole generation of, now there's a whole generation of people that will never know that because of what is going on. Yeah, and I there. think the misconception there is like, up until I saw, it, honestly, this year, like videos and like stuff like that of Afghanistan in the 70s, the 60s, the 50s, the 80s, and you, it didn't even look like what we would think Afghanistan looks like today. What you think about Middle yeah. East was not what the Middle East was at that time. Yeah, that's it's it's crazy because like it wasn't that long ago either. Mm-mm. And then, I my question is, and and I'm like in movies, every every single movie you see about military in Afghanistan. It's like this, they walk into a, t- it's in every movie, they walk into a town and everybody from the windows is staring down and it gets real ominous and then they walk into, I don't know, a hallway and people run everywhere and then everybody's working for the ter- terrorist organization and everybody's an affiliate and everybody's like, has this mass plan to take down these people. Is that, that's not true, is it? Uh, not the latter part, but you do get a lot of looks uh, because... One, most of them are white. Uh, two, the rest of them are something else that is not their color. <laughs> so yeah. it's True. a very odd thing to see, you know, people walking through your town, so to speak. Military you know, with, up, you know, tanks. M4s and, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I was about to say rolling armor and all this other stuff. It's right. it's kind of odd. It's going to draw some eyeballs. Right. So. True. But is the dramatic part of, like... We bust into houses, maybe not necessarily as Americans. Sometimes yeah. they do. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Well, I, I'm, I'm sure the war parts of it are true, but I think I just feel like it creates. That's why I asked a question about misconceptions, because I feel like it just creates this thing where it's like everybody in Afghanistan is out to kill our military, mm-hmm. and it's just like you said, it's just not true. No, that's that's definitely not true. Um, you get, you have you have factions. And, you know, extremist organizations just like anywhere else. And the people that we uh, were fighting in Afghanistan at first were uh, the Taliban. And the whole reason we went over there was because the Taliban was harboring al-Qaeda. And al-Qaeda was the ones who, you know, committed 9-11. And they were given an opportunity uh, to make a very quick choice and basically turn over Osama bin Laden and all of al-Qaeda affiliates that they knew were in their country, and they refused. So that's what happened with that. That's why we invaded Afghanistan in order to dethrone the Taliban government that is now back. Mm -hmm. And And with that, kick out al-Qaeda and find Osama bin Laden. Right, and that's what I was saying about now there will be a generation of children who grow up under, what do they call it, Sharia law? Taliban is very, I mean, Sharia law relates to Islamic law. Okay. um, But... So just like, you know, we have our religious laws, you know, Mm -hmm. being the Ten Commandments or whatever else you want to talk about in the Bible, they have theirs based on their holy book, the Quran. Uh, But the Taliban and al-Qaeda are a very extreme view of that. Right. That's what I'm saying, though. If that makes sense. But if they they now, as we know it, they are controlling 
at least some of Afghanistan. The Taliban all. is the ruling party in Afghanistan. Right. Yes. So now will they be under that type of yes. strict yes. law? So that's what I was saying. We went from like, as in apostates will be right. beheaded and right. Christians, so, you can pay a fine or get out exactly. or be killed. Yes. Right. So we went from some type of normalcy that we were able as Americans to go and give them to now this extremist organization has come in and now there's a whole generation of people that will never know what like us as Americans consider to be normal. And then my next question, because <coughs> that opens up a whole nother conversation. <laughs> my next my next question, I guess, to kind of wrap things back up and get, a, get off like a, just a more mellow note. One of the most beautiful ministries we see in America, in my opinion, is God Behind Bars. Uh, it's, a, it's a ministry that is self-explanatory. It's ministers to prisons behind, or to people behind bars, to prisoners. Uh, and in fact, this girl, Jenny Weavers, she just did a something called the Worship Well out at SEU or in S, around SEU in Lakeland, Florida. And she is what you call like she had jailhouse religion is what you call like she met God in jail. Like, mm. but she met God in jail and not just like met God in jail. Like she met God in jail, started a ministry in jail, led wow. outside of jail. Now she's like, this woman is a woman of the Lord. Like right. it, it, trained in deliverance. Like mm-hmm. she has courses. It, she's it's a woman of God, no doubt about it. Um, but what does that look like in your prison? Like in the place you work at, is there like a, a ministry that is effective behind bars, I guess you could say? Yeah, so uh, I think I've showed you some of this before, Caitlin. They have a full-time chaplain um, that is in charge of now it's this is real it's really difficult to explain because this chaplain is in charge of all things religion. religious right um, and not just they'll they'll obviously run the services of their particular faith you know the Catholic chaplain will do their mass and the Protestant chaplain will do their regular Protestant church service and you know what have you um, but the chaplain or supervisory chaplain rather is in control of all of that so sets up uh, everything that the nation of islam guys need right. all the you know the moors and all, all this other stuff the pagan religions that we have in there um so it's basically their responsibility to uh, determine what is a legitimate religion to allow in there for lack of a better way of putting it um get them the religious materials they need um Make sure that the information is put out there of what you know religious garments or food they're allowed to have. Right. Um, but that's kind of a little bit of a tangent. But yes, their short answer is they do have prison ministries that are run by the chaplain, and they have volunteers and contractors that come in and do prison ministry in the chapel. Yeah. The prison chapel. Nice, and it's effect like it's effective. Like you see, you see prisoners like lives change in prison type thing. For sure, um, I maybe I, it might be a little cynical, but it's I'd say it's about the same as you'd see out here, in that the majority of the people on the in the world are not living right, mm-hmm. and those select few choose to follow Jesus. It's the same thing in prison. Right. Interesting. Very interesting. So are you saying like fifteen people go to the altar on Sunday, but three people? make it their life's mission to serve God. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Prisoners? Okay. Just wanted to make make that clear. A lot of people go to the altar and give their life to the Lord, 
but very few, unfortunately, that's why the Bible says there's few, very few continue that throughout their life. So yeah. that's why I wanted to make sure. Unfortunately, there's quite a few, quite a few people that go to uh, prison chapel just to get away from the housing unit. So I would do that too. I mean, that's what they I call mean, jailhouse religion. Correct? Yeah. They call uh, you, mm-hmm. you go to, to, to chapel to say they're at chapel and it's right. yep. good on your record. Right. And, mm-hmm. yep. and, and, and some people that. go to change for yeah. real. And some yep. people really get touched by God. So yeah. I'd say those people are rare. Almost like the same it, scenario, like the hungry. Mm-hmm. Out, it's the same thing. They're just in yeah. a prison. Like yeah. Those who thirst and hunger for righteousness shall be satisfied. And it's obviously, it's, I think it's uh, as hard, if not harder, on the inside to reach people because I mean how do you like how do you even do that like you got I got a massive respect for uh prison ministers one of the best guys I've ever met in my life was in Kosovo and he actually like that was his life's calling was like a former Vietnam ranger and you know all this all the yeah all this crazy stuff and he still made it a point to you know he really felt called to the prison ministry and Man, that's got to be a rough place to try to reach people, man. Yeah, I, I saw, can't imagine oh, it. I saw a video on Instagram, and it was it, at God Behind Bars. Is their Instagram? You guys should look them up. But there's a, a a prisoner who has life sentence, but he got saved in prison, and now he ministers to other prisoners. Mm-hmm. But he was just describing like the feeling of wanting to be embraced. And when mm-hmm. you think about it, like there is no embrace to a prisoner in prison. Like the, yeah. You don't have a feeling of embrace. Like along, I'm sure there's many that in there that feel shameful, guilty of, of the things that they've done to put themselves there, hate themselves for it. Maybe some are apathetic to it, the large array. But he said to him, the common thing is just he just wanted to feel embraced. Yeah. And he remembers telling God, like, God, it is impossible for you to embrace me here. Like, I know you're I know that we don't I don't have to feel you to touch you. Or I don't have to touch you to feel you, but it is impossible for you to embrace me here. And he said, and, and God told him, it, it's not impossible for me to embrace you. And he said, when you see these people come in to chapel and you see these these contractors, so to say, come in and do ministry here and they hug you and they shake your hand, that is my embrace mm. through those people. Yeah. And uh, I think it goes just to say, like, honors do or, yeah, honors do or honors do type thing, like. Like Sid just brought up Psalms 41 through 3, and it's really just saying, a verse saying, I'll wait patiently, and that the Lord hears my cry when I wait patiently. And I, and I think it's so accurate and, and kind of to tie everything back together as we wrap things up, like whether it be people in another country seeking normalcy or really just the ability to live life without a, a ruler to their, to their hand, um, or it'd be somebody who's out of the military, or it'd be somebody who is dealing with pornography, or it'd be a prisoner wanting to be embraced, or it'd be a mother struggling with illness that just wants it to not be ill anymore. The the response is, Lord, I'll wait patiently because you've heard my cry. And I think being people that have been through it and now see the other side, we can attest to say that, okay, Lord, I waited patiently and you've heard my cry. Um, so I guess after all of the serious topics that we just went through, <laughs> all of like the some heart wrenching, some joyful, some heart wrenching, <laughs> uh, I just want to leave y'all with that encouragement that like wait patiently because there's four people in this room that can say he heard your, he heard our cry. Yeah. It may not have the response may not have been when we wanted to, but he heard it from the moment we started crying. You Amen. think of like a baby, uh, 
when a baby starts crying, like you immediately don't respond sometimes because babies sometimes they just cry and stop crying. Like you don't immediately, at least I don't immediately respond if it's like a family. <laughs> if it's somebody's random baby, Keegan leaves his baby. No, for like if it's minutes. if it's somebody in my family and the baby starts like crying, like whining, eh, eh, I'm yeah. like, okay, you're gonna get over it. Right. But I heard the cry like from the minute it started crying. Yeah. It just depends what my response is gonna be. So, so the Lord hears our cry from the moment we start crying. Mm-hmm. But he will he will respond right at the, like the perfect time, whether it be in a psych ward, whether it be in a kitchen floor, whether it be in a bed at two thirty in the morning, whether it be in a pod. Ooh, <laughs> got a burp. Whether it be <laughs> at a table doing a podcast. Uh, but yeah, I just I think that God kind of put this on my heart in the beginning. I think we should just take a second, really, to just honor Tyler and. Uh, and thank you for for what you've done, not just for the country, but for the world. Because I think that when you're dealing with other countries for our for the military, you're not just benefiting our country, but others. Uh, so really, man, it's, it isn't more than a, even though you're a friend, it's more than an honor to have you speak about things that many people don't speak about uh, on our podcast. It, I think this is one of my favorite episodes so far, actually. Um, but yeah, and if if we just take a moment to to pray for, I guess vets all around the country all around the world because there's vets in other countries too mm-hmm. yeah yeah i'll let you lead it out tyler if you feel comfortable you with yeah. uh prayer yeah yeah for sure for uh, for, for, uh, for the people fighting in the world <laughs> all around <laughs> all around the world sure dear Heavenly father we come f- before you today thank you for the fellowship and allowing us to participate in this uh ministry of a podcast uh, tonight, we'd like to lift up all the veterans across the world uh, fighting for our freedom, Lord, putting their lives on the line. Uh, we ask you to do as your word says, Lord, and be close to the broken heart and save those who are crushed in spirit today, Lord. Uh, let them know that you are close uh, and that you are only a, uh, only a cry away and that you will answer their cry. And we ask you to uh, pull at the heart of people who have not accepted your grace yet lord jesus and just let them know that they're loved let them know that they're not alone in this world and that there is somebody out there that died for them and cares for them in jesus name amen amen Amen. and bless the baby amen and bless the baby (laughs) (laughs) um well listen man we are we are excited we are thrilled all those fancy adjectives that we like to use uh we're just happy that you guys listen. We're happy that you guys uh, tune in. Uh, we pay attention. Trust. We pay attention to the viewership. We pay attention to who's watching, who's listening, when, where, whether it be in Brazil or whether it be in, in America. Uh, we're just glad that you guys tune in. And just stay tuned because we, we plan to amp things up. But as always, man, we love you guys. God bless you. And we're out. Bye. Peace. One thing. One thing. One uh, thing. Can oh. I say one thing? Really back yeah. in. You mind? Sorry about that? Yeah. yeah. I'm good? Yeah. yeah. All right. Hey, so I think it's important for us as Christians to uh, bridge the gap. And I just want to say that those people in these uh, Islamic-dominated countries and in prison, uh, just because they're in prison or they're Muslim, you don't get to forget them. That's right. Well, they haven't been exposed to the love of Jesus, and it's your job to do that. Absolutely. So we need to bridge the gap to those Islamic empires and any of those strongholds of evil across the world. Yeah. And that's right. all I got. Right on. He's already a better person than we are. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, this time for real. Uh, Listen, we love you guys. As always, man, we love you. God bless you. And we're out. Peace. Later.